0: say yes, (laughs) we know about psychiatric advanced directives. I know I'm a psychologist here in this center, and I know that you all were talking a little bit about it a couple weeks ago, and Jen said, hey, does anyone here know anything about psychiatric advanced directives? And I had actually talked with NAMI about this, which is a family um, mental health association, and so it would be good for everyone to know about them. And basically, it's very similar. When you think of advanced directives, you know, you think of do not resuscitate or those kind of directives, and it's very similar psychiatric advanced directives. So we hope that people with serious mental illnesses all have psychiatric advanced directives. We know that they do not, but we wish that they would, and we encourage people to because it really helps their family members, their friends, and you all to know what should I do to help this person. So people might have very particular things like never take me to casement. I hate Caseman. I only want to go to UNM. Or I know that I do not do well on a specific medication. Or my therapist can be contacted at this phone number. Or my parents are not part of my care team. So all of those things are part of a psychiatric advanced directive. It really says where you would want treatment and lets a person, and there has to be a proxy. So you would do the psychiatric advanced directives when a person is not experiencing any psychosis. So when they're in a good phase, you would sit down with someone, We would, I would, as a psychologist, sit down and say, you know, let's walk through this and then they would identify someone, a proxy, to speak on their behalf. And so that proxy would have a copy of their psychiatric advance directives, and then they would be able to help you all know, okay, this is what's going to be most helpful for the person. And like I said, the reason that we do it while the person is doing well Is because when they're not doing well, then they're not sometimes in a position to make a decision. So at that point, they may be saying, you know, my father's out to get me. And really, that's part of the psychosis. So it's not necessarily, you know, the psychiatric advance directives helps people around know what to do and how to advocate for the person. So the benefits, it really helps people feel like they have a choice. So it's very scary to be in a psychotic place and also to have been in a psychotic place and know you've been in a psychotic place. So this really lets people have some choice. Say, okay, I I know that that may happen again, and I'm going to put this document together so that other people around me can help make the choices that I would want to make. Um, it also increases the possibility of continuity of care because you're, you're, you know where the person gets treatment, you know who their uh, clinicians are that are working, what hospitals they've been to in the past that might know them, what medications they're on. So it's not starting from ground zero again. Yeah.
1: So question Matt, too, with APD. I know this source just talks about New Mexico. Are advanced psychiatric events or- mm-hmm. are they national now?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. They're national, but at this the source is the Di- Disability Rights of New Mexico. They put this out so that people could have access to these. But yeah, they are national. However, there's a legal piece to it, and the legal piece I'll show you about. You know, I don't know what the jurisdiction of that. It's kind of like a will. So if someone from another state comes with their psychiatric advance directives, I mean, I think it would still be beneficial to, if they had one, to take a look and see if they had anything on there that might be helpful. That's a good question. Yeah, this is pretty popular in the, what we call the consumer movement, people with lived experience of mental health issues because they realize that this could really be for them a lifesaver and for the people around them because they really get to know what the person wants. Of course, you know, if I was sitting with someone and they said, you know, I want to never be put in the hospital, I never want medication, you know, that I wouldn't put that on the advanced directives because there are times when you would need to hospitalize or so I would work with them to be like, okay, I, I get that you never do, but in the event that you have to, what what do you want me to put out? What, what do you want your family members to do? So it, it doesn't mean that involuntary treatment doesn't occur. It does occur if you're psychotic and a danger to yourself or other people. You will be, you know, the person will have involuntary commitment, but um at least they have a choice and we have some information as to what will be helpful. As a clinician, it it also helps me really put together a good crisis intervention plan because we know that people um, with serious mental illness sometimes have dips where they're doing really well and then they You know, say I'm doing awesome. I'm gonna. I don't need my medication anymore. And so, or they just, you know, their body says no. You're not going to be doing so great today. And so, it helps you really plan for the future, for what you want to happen in a crisis. And it opens the door. You know, I like to when I'm working, even with adults, I like to try and identify like who's your family, who's your friends. Can I talk to them. Let's let's talk through this advanced directive so that they really know, okay, this is what the person wants in this situation. It also allows you to get a release of information. So, um, you know, that that's sometimes very hard with HIPAA that you take someone to the hospital and you're not related to them. And, you know, so this says, this is my proxy. They can be updated as to my progress they can know what's happening with me. Who who they want to be notified that they're in the hospital, who they do not want to be notified so you know that's something very particular that we want to make sure that we don't say like oh here's their mom dad's phone number let's call them and then find out that they don't have a good relationship with them and that will be agitating them more so. Um, it helps them appoint a person that they trust. And I, we have found that people feel much more in control when they know that they have these advanced directives. You know, it, it is empowering. It shows that what they care about matters. And then they don't have to worry. They know that they're probably going to experience another dip, like I said, or another crisis. And this way they know, people around me know what to do about it. So this is just kind of the same thing. It helps stabilize people, helps make good treatment choices that are good for the person, helps people know what in their family and friends, what their treatment choices are gives us as providers direction so that we know, okay, they don't want this situation, they do want that situation, and it could really help with stabilization. Uh, I want to mention one thing that is complicated about the psychiatric advance directives is where do you keep them? And, you know, it's the kind of thing that we try and tell people to keep it in your wallet all the time because... When you're in a crisis you can't be like you know it's under my bed or it needs to be on the person so and we have been talking with the state about you know ideally there would be a central resource place where you like you know how are you guys familiar with nm cal the the call in the 1-800 call in line so like if they would keep people's psychiatric advanced directives you guys could call nm Cal and say, I've got Deb Alchul here, she's having a psychotic episode. Does she have a psychiatric advance
2: directive?
3: So I, I think we should advocate for something like that. I have a question, uh, Lauren Savage with APDCIU. So you help them with that advance directive. Do they ever get updated or changed? Yeah. And so how how do you know which one's the most current for us? I mean.
0: I mean, usually they will only carry the one that's most current, but basically, you know, maybe they've had a falling out with someone, they want to put someone else as the proxy, they might update it. Or they, you know, sometimes people could be on a medication and it's working really well for years, and then all of a sudden it's not what they need anymore. So it's different things that they might update, but we try and get rid of you before. That's a good question
3: card Garnam, CIU. India, like in a case where someone gets admitted to the hospital, but it might not qualify for mental health court, where maybe they'd be appointed a court guardian. I noticed on the last slide it said this can kind of be a substitute for that. Mm-hmm. Um, do doctors regularly discuss a psychiatric advance directive with patients, like it might be helpful? Mm-hmm like, in lieu of mental
4: health court and court-appointed guardians? So for something like that, they might, I mean, I've not formally done that, but you have to have something in signing a legal court to say that they can make those decisions. You can do power of attorneys yeah, that they have to specify that they have psychiatric decision-making even. Like, even if you have a normal POA, they can't make psychiatric medication decisions. That's to specify specifically so they, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying like, oh, they had this advanced directive they signed. This person can make medical decisions. For yeah. psychiatric, it'd have to be a judge who said that or a POA that gives that power. Oh, that.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, in a very state-by-state. So I don't know the statute here for psychiatric advanced directives. They do have one, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, they have to be recognized. If, if you're going to be utilizing they have to be recognized in court. In New York, they had... People use psychiatric advanced directives, but they weren't recognized by court, so you couldn't actually utilize them
0: in that manner. So, so the psychiatric, like, yeah, I think there's some legislation about it, but I don't know what it is. But I remember looking it up. Um, I'll have to get back to you. But I, I think that that's why the recommendation is, once you do your psychiatric advanced directive, to get a power of the attorney. So now you've identified this is my proxy until you get the power of attorney, because that is something that will stand
4: up. And it is very useful, sorry, court barter, psychiatrist, you know, i to identify myself. It is very useful, because when we're doing the paperwork, we have to know who to put as the treatment guardian, either family, brother, cousin, sister, friend, um, or a honorary guardian service. And so that's where it's very, very nice, because then it's
1: in court, I can make this is the person that this person chose. Yeah. That's the best case. I've been following, right? So, this is Matt Tanner, the APD. And I guess maybe it's for you know, if you guys are admitting, or if you have admission. So, if, if someone's going in and they're directive, they put a certain medication they don't want to be given, I mean, is that something that you guys look at and work around? Or still, like, if they're in the hospital, you're like, nope, doesn't matter because the court didn't say this, I'm going to give you that medication.
2: For example, UNM psychiatry. I would hope that they would be considering that and um, working with them. Uh,
1: I've never had a
2: patient come into the hospital and say and have a psychiatric advance directive with them. So mm-hmm. I think it's something that is uh, very underutilized and could be extremely helpful and beneficial for people. But I, it's not something that that I've had experience with um, people actually coming in and doing that. But in general. Just looking in general, the, <laughs> the staff, especially at the hospital, and in the outpatient, like uh, Deb is talking about, trying to communicate with the patient and their family that the treatment plan, regardless of whether they have a psychiatric advance directive or not, is, is taking into consideration what the, what the individual wants. The psychiatric advance directive is that much more helpful because you're taking into consideration what they wanted when they have the capacity to really be making that decision. Well said.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think there's usually, in terms of medication, there are options. So if they say, I know that this one is not for me, then you know, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't be able to follow that.
1: Then Dr. I've put, we use them in the VA system, but it's easier to access advanced directives, both general and psychiatric across facilities. Mm-hmm.
0: So this is how family members would could support the use, but I think it's also true for police, is that if you know that this is even a thing, you could ask, do you have an advanced directive? Or if a family member is present or a friend say, Do you know if they have an advanced directive? You know, it's worth a shot at uh, getting some information. So, um, you know, also, it's we really encourage people to have whoever their proxy is know where their psychiatric advanced directive is located. So, even if it's in their pocket, in their wallet, we want the proxy to know it's in their wallet. If it's in their nightstand, we want them to know that. Ideally, it's somewhere on their person. And then we really want, we try and train family members or friends, whoever's the proxy, to really advocate. So remember that, you know, it's scary when people are having crises, but try and kind of take a breath and remember, okay, I know that they're, they have an advanced directive. I've seen it. And let's try and find it and figure out what's going to be helpful for the person.
1: Yeah. There's a question from Detective Weeby with the Elkhart Police Department. Can you use a medical advance directive as a psychiatric advance directive?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I think. What What do you guys think? I think you would have to specify in the medical directive your psychiatric ones. The thing the. Nice thing, and this, there are ones online um, from the same source, and the nice thing is it will have you think about things that you haven't thought about that's not included in the medical one.
4: I mean, if I were advising someone, I would tell them to get both, probably, because the psychiatric, as far as I understand, is specific to psychiatric decompensation. And so advanced directives are more like, what will happen if I get in a terrible car accident or if I develop Alzheimer's or things like that? Those are what those advanced directives are about. Giving care, not giving care. It's not so much about uh, psychiatric interventions. Do you, does anybody else know more about that than I?
1: Seems like a good answer. (laughs) We're (laughs) flexible.
0: No, I I would agree with that. It has, it's more specified. So these are the possible components of what you would see, and they, like I said, they have tempt weights. It would say, what's your preference in terms of treatment type, inpatient, outpatient, do you want, uh, what kind of providers do you work well with, what kind of medications, are there any, you know, some people do work really well in a hospital setting. If not, are there any alternative opportunities what are your preferences about seclusion and restraint and ECT and visitors you know you don't want you wouldn't want to have people visiting you who are going to set you off so you know that you know these these are the people who can come to see me all of that's very helpful and then you you appoint a power of attorney so you make sure in the psychiatric advance directive, you list the power of attorney. That is the person, your proxy. So these are the legal requirements in New Mexico for the psychiatric advance directive. They must be signed by the individual, they need to have a witness. Ideally, they need to be notarized. And if a uh, proxy is appointed, then that person also has to sign it um, saying that they know they're the proxy, and that can be on the power of attorney, although it's probably beneficial to have the power of have them sign the power of attorney, as well as the psychiatric advance directive. So that's making it really clear for whoever is getting a hold of the psychiatric advance directive that this is Something thought out. It wasn't written today while I'm in my psychotic state. So here's your legislation The Mental Health Care Treatment Decisions Act allows you to write instructions for your psychiatric treatment in the event that you're incapable to make or communicate those instructions. So according to that statute, you can write down your instruction, you can appoint an agent, meaning a proxy, and you can instruct what mental health care professionals um, are involved with you. It's also known in this state as an advanced directive for mental health treatment. So that's what it's called in the statute. And it, if you Google this Mental Health Care Treatment Decisions Act, you will see that there, there is a standard form. It's not mandatory to use that standard form, but it's probably easier. I just you have people use that form, because if we all use the same form, then when you guys pull up an advance directive, it's pretty obvious you know, where the information is. You don't have to search through the information. So, this is the part about the power of attorney. Yep. Sorry,
1: so quick, Chris. This yep. is Matt here with APD. So, that form from the state, did yep. they make a smaller one? Because you mentioned about them keeping their pocket, and that is a, big it form. is a pretty big
0: form. I didn't want to tell them.
1: That. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you got to say, keep in your pocket. I'm like, but There's I, a new I, smaller it version.
0: Is, it is, but like, if you were to print it, Double-sided, uh, you can put it in your pocket. Yeah, yes. and
1: it's just twenty pages, pages. <laughs> okay. so that's
0: four eight pages.
1: pages. <laughs> four pages, eight I keep pages. that something like that in my pocket. Well,
0: the other, I mean, honestly, when nowadays, when I say put it in your pocket, yeah. a lot of people take pictures of it, okay, so that they have it on their phone. It's
2: actually so, yeah.
0: so we do that, with, right? We do that with safety plans too. I don't know if you guys have heard of safety plans, but you know, safety plans is kind of like what's going to help people if they're feeling suicidal. And so, a lot of times, we have actually every time I have people take a picture of it because then they're not like I'm feeling suicidal. Where's my safety? <laughs> so yeah, I would just keep it in there. The connection is unstable. But that's why I really would love to see like a centralized place to put that. So uh, this is just, as we mentioned earlier, the power of attorney is kind of the legal stamp of approval. So it's really good if the person can also get a power of attorney. Um, It has to be signed, witnessed, and it is a legal document. And with that power of attorney, the statute says in New Mexico that you can, your proxy can make decisions about your services, including refusals. Although we really try to avoid that as clinicians when we're putting them together. We try not to have it say, I don't want any treatment. Yes. And it presented you with the UN Department of Psychiatry. You might have already talked about this,
2: but, so we have, I apologize. Do you recommend, like, in terms of, like, what officers should be doing with respect to advanced directives, do you recommend, like, when they go out for a call for service that involves a
0: person with mental illness, that they ask individuals if they have an advanced directive? Is that something they should be doing? I mean on the, 20, the list of 100 things right that yeah, exactly. have to do on the call, it is something to keep in mind because it could help you. You know, it could be helpful <laughs> to you. It could be part of de-escalating someone. Now you're talking about something that they care about. Um, and that's going to show them that you're listening to their choice. So I think if possible, if you think about it, yeah, ask them, their family.
3: Another question on... Detective Lawrence Aveta with APD. How prevalent is it? How how many people do you think have them? Because I've never come across one.
0: And I mean, I this. think as Bridget said, it's it's trickling out. You know, uh, the people. So Annette and I used to work together in Hawaii, and we had people who worked with us who, who were researchers who had schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, and we had we had a thing that everyone who worked for us had an advanced directive and we kept those advanced directives and we used them because sometimes people would decompensate and we it was extremely helpful to know like okay we know what's going on with this person we know it's going to be helpful for them it made all the difference in the world so we it is being promoted here but you know it's just i don't know why first. I think it's the same with your medical advanced directives, although those are now packaged in with wills. So more and more people have them. But the psychiatric advanced directives, you know, it's really up to clinicians to be educated on them and and, and help people to complete them. But I think you know, probably. It's not the practice, even at the hospital, to say, do you have an advanced directive? So, you know, that's something that Bridget will take to act and tell them all to ask that now on. Was
3: <laughs> well, that Very something that their way. caseworkers, love, like the caseworkers or discharge planners at the hospitals and jails, should they
2: yeah.
3: be trying to mm-hmm. get these done, you know, while? Because, I mean, think about that. That's when they're going to be, you're, you say they have to be, Someone leveled off right. to, to fill these out, right. discharge is probably the best place to. Absolutely. Just um, an opinion, I guess.
2: No,
4: no, absolutely. No. You, you mentioned this a bit, but what do you do about people who are sort of talked into writing a power of attorney, I mean, not a power of attorney, uh, a band's directive, and then they just say they don't want any treatment? Well, I don't want lithium, and I don't want this, and I don't want that, because I've heard different things.
0: I mean, I, I think we still have the duty to take care of people and make sure that they're safe and other people around them aren't safe. Um, so it doesn't mean, and I tell people that, it doesn't mean that you're never going to casement. If UNM's full and you have to be inpatient, you may end up in casement. But at least we could put it down so that they know what your preference is. Mm-hmm. You know. And similarly, if you look at that last bullet, it says that your proxy will help make decisions for you. But that doesn't mean that if your proxy walks in and says, "Annette I'm um, Annette's proxy, and she needs to be hospitalized," they will not say, "Sure, bring her in. It's on. <laughs> it's on the paper." <laughs> Um, Will hospitalize. They still
1: have to do an evaluation and determine what kind of treatment is necessary. Yep. So, I have a question. This is Matthew, the APD statement. The only time I've ever seen these is when people are discharged from Vegas and end up in the boarding homes. I've only seen it when they first came out because this came out of the same legislation body for the CET.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, passed this, and that was the only time I've ever seen it. But I'm just curious if, like, Jackie or Watkins or Carrie and, and other states. Have you guys seen any of these on calls? Jackie's saying no.
0: No, the only thing we have are crisis plans, and those are not even well documented because I've responded to calls where I asked for the crisis plan, and the crisis plan says call
1: 911. <laughs> Do you so, need to call 911, Jackie?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so nice. the crisis plans are – Are still a work in progress, so I can't even imagine seeing an advanced directive.
1: Then Chicago says, no, they don't see them either.
0: Well, way to take my thunder here. (laughs) I mean, I think it is, these are useful tools, and we hope that people use them. So here's your answer. The third bullet is can providers decline um, the advanced directive? They can if the treatment requested is considered infeasible or unavailable.
2: What does that
3: mean?
0: I mean, that could mean, some, like there's something we call greyhound therapy where people say, if I go to Colorado, I'm going to be better. We have that all the time in Hawaii. And states were very willing to say, okay, go to Hawaii, because it's easier than having you stay here. You've been in and out and in and out and in and out, out of the hospital. So if you put something on your advance directive that's just not feasible or a service that's not available, then they can say, you know, we don't have that, or if it conflicts with other laws, like, you know, like for example, involuntary treatment laws. So, um, or if treatment or refusal of treatment is medically ineffective. So if we know that that's not gonna be helpful, we're not gonna follow that. So I gave you that example. um, of when we had people working in Hawaii and we used the advanced directives quite a bit. So something just for New Mexico to consider is, you know, exactly what you guys are talking about, how do we ensure all people with mental illness have advanced directives, and, and when I say mental illness, I mean serious mental illness. Um, um, where it could be a clearinghouse for advanced directives. It would be nice if we could park them somewhere that we could have easy access to and figure out ways to ensure that they're followed. And, um, how can family members help? Like we, we really need more advocates talking about advanced directives and the importance of figuring out this problem.
3: Lord Seba with APD, have you spoken with Nami about this, yeah. trying to get it like in their family to family yeah. so they can get it out
2: to
0: yeah this homes? this I did the same presentation with Nami um, recently and so you know there the parents are really concerned they want they also want their kids to have it. <laughs> and, then. and then um presenting you at the UNM Department
2: of Psychiatry, what do you mean by serious mental illness? <laughs>
0: Nah. <laughs> so, I mean, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, major, um, like long term depression, things that have psychotic components to them. So, it's what I, why I separated that, I wanted to say if someone's having, you know, a depressive episode or, you know, ended a relationship and is experiencing depression related to that, you probably don't need an advanced directive. But if you have chronic mental illness, which we call in our world serious mental illness, then that is the kind of people that would need the advanced directives.
3: Rob Gurnan, yeah, CIU, so pretty much anything that would
2: land them like on disability.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Essentially.
0: Yeah. Any other questions? I think that's the last slide. These are just some resources to get more information. Jen has the slide so she can pass them
1: out. This is Matt here APD. I just wanted to make a statement kind of back of what Lawrence was saying that people keep these on calls. If you guys were to ask somebody if they have an psychiatric advance directive and they don't, they're probably going to ask you what that means, which would then open an opportunity for you guys to explain what it's for and someone might be able to talk about their treatment. And that way you guys don't own that weird conversation of you asking like, oh, do you take medication? I think you need this. But we're talking about it as a third party, which would help you guys potentially talk about them. The only ones that, that I've ever seen is that uh, if you guys get more into CIT type stuff and you sit on any boards with consumers, sometimes those consumers will share their psychiatric advance directives with you just in case they have contacts with the police. <laughs> But it does seem like if someone is well enough to have a psychiatric advance directive, they're not typically the ones that are generating calls for service, it seems like, mm-hmm. right. um, unless it is something that happens at be like a group facility that
0: has it. Although we have, you, you do see people, yes. like really, they're sitting on the board, they're, fat, you know, very engaged, interested, and then they start coming in looking shabby, and then right. all of a sudden they're having a psychotic episode, so...
1: So I have a random question, I don't know if this would be for the uh, providers, but if someone comes in and they have a psychiatric advance directive, you guys have it on file, they're psychotic and they're saying, nope, I don't want that at all.
0: The advance directive? Yeah. We say,
3: no,
0: no you were not psychotic and this is what you
2: decided. <laughs> is
3: that something you can do, though, keep certain ones on file? Say we had someone that was someone that was constantly being transported to UNM, so if they don't have to carry it around, or maybe they're so decompensated that they decide they don't want to carry it around because they don't yeah. want you to see it. Is that something that that they would fax in and scan there? I don't, I have no idea. Like make it part of their medical record. Yeah, I do. Right.
0: Yeah, it is. If it's I if so I do person. do it with someone, I keep it in their medical. Right. record.
3: But can you? With them, with the consumer's permission. permission, fax it to the places that that they go, that they, they normally go. go to add to their medical records. That way, if you get somebody who's like, they made a really good advance directive when they were clear, you know, and healthy, yeah. and then now they're not so healthy, and they're saying, "Oh," no, no, no. Yeah. and they don't keep it with them. No one will know that they have that advance directive unless the caregivers know right. it. Right. In. Yeah,
0: that's a good idea. I mean, in U N M, it's all connected. So even though I'm doing outpatient, if someone comes in to the psych emergency, they can go into the person's file. But um, if they went to Caseman, they wouldn't have access to it. But maybe you know, that is something to think about, like a release, get a release. You would just need a release of information and to fax it to a provider at Caseman. I don't know if Caseman has like a chart on
3: someone. Now another question for you if we if we're with a family and they're behind the idea and they're gonna try to help their loved one get one of these do they go to their psychiatrist their family care there or how, how do they get who, it who did. yeah who, who I who mean I think
0: something? I would say that they if they have a case manager that person will usually know like a community support worker, they know about advanced directives. If they have a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they could say, I want this. Here's the link to it. How do I get this? And then that person would have to figure out how to help them. Okay.
2: If they don't have any of those things, I'm, that I am sure that family medicine doctors would be open and willing to be filling out uh, advanced directives with them. So that's account, they go if, yeah, if they don't have. I mean, like, if they have a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a case worker, that would be ideal. But if they don't, um, I mean, there are a lot of people who are getting their mental illness treated at primary care uh, places. So, yeah.
0: but I would give them the link to it,
2: and it's House Bill 549.
3: Mm-hmm. All right. Oh,